12. We are on week 12 of Ephesians. We are powering through. We will finish chapter 4 tonight. Uh, but it is 2023. How crazy is that? Is, do you guys ever make resolutions or anything? Anybody in the New Year's resolutions? Okay, and uh, Abram, got some. Not anymore. What do you got? What's one of your New Year's resolutions you made? To keep your room clean. I like it. I like it. Um, all right. Anybody else have a, have a New Year's resolution? Anybody make goals? Goals are, what do you got? Do you have one that you can share? To run in the next two months, Andrew? Uh, to, buy to buy stuff? Okay. Do you guys think you can turn the lights back on, wherever setting that is? A little dark in here now. So, let's get a little more serious than just goals and resolutions. Think about, think about your own life. Take a second and think about the current situation that you're in in your life. Are you where you want to be spiritually? Are you as close to Jesus as you want to be? Are you experiencing right now today true peace on a soul level? Are you spiritually content? Or do you feel like you're always in a hurry, always striving for something that is more? These are questions to contemplate in yourself. Does peace rule your life? Or would you say anxiety rules your life? Does joy rule your life? Or would you say that depression or negative thoughts rule your life? Think about how you, how you act, how you, how you treat others. Do you find yourself regularly denying yourself and saying no to your flesh? Or do you find yourself more often falling for temptation? Do you, do, do you find yourself doing God's will every step of the way? Or do you find yourself trying to form your own identity by following what the world tells you is right? The results that you see in your life, whichever way that you answer, the results that you see in your life whenever you reflect on that, it should not be a surprise to you. You are living the exact life right now that you've been practicing for for the last weeks, the last few months, the last few years. Everything that you've been doing in your life is leading up to who you are in this moment. Everything from what we watch, everything from what we listen to, everything from the conversations that we have with your friends, negative or positive, it's forming and shaping who you are. What we listen to, what we think, what we do shapes who you are on the inside. So if you take a deep look at your soul, and if it's not where you want it to be, if you find yourself right now not where you want to be, don't be surprised because of what you've been doing. You practice for that. You have made this happen. But that does not have to be the way that it always is. Like you can change. That's what the Bible tells us. You can be transformed. You can have joy instead of depression. You can have peace instead of worry. You can react in love instead of anger. All of these things are possible because God changes and transforms us whenever we practice the things of Jesus. You think about the things, the, the, the current situation you are in your life, and you think about what led up to that, the different music, different TV shows, different things you watch. If you want to become more like Jesus, it be, happens by doing the things that Jesus did. We talked about this last spring in What Would Jesus Do series. 
This is what Paul talks about in Ephesians. So turn with me to chapter 4 of Ephesians if you have a Bible. Um, if you have it on your phone, make sure that the only thing you have on your phone is the Bible, not the text message or um, whatever else. I don't know what you guys would be doing during church on your phone. Um, but Ephesians chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible, it is on the screen. Chapter 4, verse 25 through 32. Um, Paul, he says, Therefore, putting away lying... Speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands, so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You, are, you were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So when you go back to the beginning of this passage, we see that it starts with a therefore. And do you guys remember when you see a therefore in the Bible, you got to go back and see what it's there for, right? Wink, wink, Pastor Joe, all right? I'm knee slapper. Okay. Why is it therefore? So in order to know what Paul is talking about, um, like why he's writing what he's writing here, we need to know like what he said and, and understand what he spoke to us in week nine, week 10, and week 11 of this series. Um, So going all the way back to Ephesians chapter 1, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling of which you have received. So the question that we've been trying to answer over these last couple weeks is what does it mean to walk worthy? What does it mean to walk worthy of the calling? And so in week 10, we decided that it means speaking the truth in love. It means that whenever you see a Christian brother, you see someone who claims to be a Christian and they're going off and they're doing things they shouldn't be doing. They say they're a Christian, but they're doing things the Bible says not to do. It's speaking the truth in love and saying, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. I know I've fallen. I know that I fail every day, but this is what the Bible says, and we both should not be doing this. That's what it means to speak the truth in love. And then in week 11, we decided it looked like taking off your old way of life and putting on your new way of life, the one that looks like Jesus, takes off that former way of life that's corrupted, and instead put on the new way of life. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4.17. And all these messages are on the podcast. If you want to go back and search on Spotify or Apple to search Quidus and Youth, you can go back and re-listen to all these to, to put all this into context. But tonight, our passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, it goes further and it shows us what it actually means to walk worthy of our calling and what it actually looks like to take off that old life, to take off your old self, and what it means to actually put on your new self. It shows us that by specifically giving us four things to take off and then four things to put on instead. And we can see already on the screen, the first thing that we should take off and put on is to take off lying and put on the truth. This is the first thing it says. Like, what does it mean to walk worthy of calling? What does it mean to take off your old self and put on the new self? Paul says very clearly, stop speaking lies and instead speak truth. There is no healthy church, no healthy community, or a healthy Christian where there are also lies present. Those two things don't go together. 
When we lie, we are in that moment acting like the devil. Jesus called the devil the father of lies. Lies are his only way to attack, to deceive, or to tempt. Remember, the devil can't make you do anything. Instead, he puts false ideas in your mind that are already playing to the natural desires that we have and that are already accepted by the world. The devil can't make you sin, but he tempts you with lies and deceit that makes it seem like you should do the thing he's tempting you to do. But whenever we lie, whenever we are deceitful, we are being used by the devil in that moment because the devil, he is the father of lies. And in Psalm chapter 5, verse 6, this is what he writes about God. Um, he says, God, you destroy those who lie. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people. And so we know that lying is not good. And so Paul, he says, stop speaking these lies. Um, instead, we speak the truth in love. We speak truth. We don't lie. We speak truth. That means that speaking the truth, whenever it's uncomfortable and whenever it's hard, Whenever it's something that's going to be uncomfortable for us to do, it's going to be hard. Like when you see that friend going off and doing that thing they shouldn't be doing, it's speaking the truth in love, even whenever it's hard and uncomfortable. It means speaking the truth whenever you did something that you know is wrong and you know you're going to get in trouble whenever you say, hey, I messed up and I did this. It means speaking the truth in that moment anyways, even though it's easier just to lie and say, oh, no, I didn't do that. I don't know who broke the vase. I don't know who put the hole in the wall. Speaking the truth is... Different, different situations. I can think of a bunch of reasons on why we should lie about things or not lie about things. But a lot of examples is speaking the truth instead of lying. As followers of Christ, we are different from the world that is around us. We speak and believe the truth in every circumstance. That's what it means to follow Jesus and, and the world that we live in today. It's speaking truth and saying no to lies. It's resisting lies and saying yes to the truth. The second thing that Paul tells us to take off and to put on is to take off uncontrolled anger and instead put on controlled anger. Anger is another emotion that we are called to deal with uh, differently than the world because we follow Jesus. Anger is something that is easy. It comes on quick and it can linger for a long time. And you see this all over. Like one of the like most trending things on social media, I don't know why I just thought about this just now, is like rage things. Like you see people just going off like on managers at McDonald's and all that kind of stuff. Rage and anger is such uh, an accepted thing in the world. But the Bible says that we are to live differently. Anger, an outburst of anger, that is not the way Christians should live and the Bible's solution to anger is to deal with it quickly because whenever we let it linger, the Bible says that we are giving the devil a foothold into our life. And according to Paul, anger is different um, from the other three bad things that he tells us to take off because anger is the only thing that we can use sparingly for the right reasons. Like the other three things, Paul says, take it off, have nothing to do with those things, have nothing to do with lies, have nothing to do with stealing. Instead, but he says with anger, he says you can be angry but don't sin. So then we ask the question, like, what does that mean? How can we be angry and how can we not sin? I thought those were two different things. They are. Because whenever you have an outburst of anger, whenever you have like, that rage, outburst in rage, they are never okay because that shows that we have no self-control over our emotions and over the way that we respond to things. However, anger is an emotion that God had and it's emotion that we ha can have whenever we see evil or whenever we see injustice. God, if God hates sin, then if we love God, we should also hate sin. 
And if God gets angry at evil and injustice in that Christians, then we can also get angry at evil and injustice. But we have to remember that there has to be a balance between anger and, and what the Bible also calls us to. We talked about a few weeks ago, patience. The word for patience in the Greek is literally a compound word that means slow to anger. So the Bible says that we be angry but not sin, but also says we need to be patient, which means we are slow to anger. So when is it okay to be angry? The Bible, it lays it out really clear. You can be angry whenever it does not result in you sinning. You can be angry whenever it's dealt with quickly, and you can move on, and you can forgive. Like the Bible says, do it, and, and like, don't go to bed angry. Like, make sure you don't do it with the, or, do, or what does it say? It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Um, and then you can do it whenever you don't give the devil a foothold in your life. Any other kind of anger, any other kind of outburst is sin, according to Paul. The third thing that Paul tells us to take off and to put on is take off stealing and instead put on hard work. And now this is a moment where some of you guys are like, I'm just going to check out. Like, I'm not a thief. I don't steal. So I don't need to listen to this. I'm never going to deal with that. I don't want to steal things. That's not exactly what Paul is talking about here. The gospel turned things on its head. It's not just about things not to do. It's not just a, a list of rules. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. And so the Bible it tells us other things that we should do with that instead. And so the gospel turns things on its head. The gospel requires from Christians hard work and sacrifice. It doesn't just require that we don't steal, but it requires that we work hard and that we sacrifice. This is how humanity is supposed to live and glorify God. We work hard, and we share what we have to reflect God more. Sacrificially giving of your money and giving of your time and giving of the things that you have is one of the best ways that we can reflect Jesus to our culture. We live in a culture that, that's stingy, that just wants more and more, that just like, I, I just try not to steal, I just try not to do the wrong thing, but I'm going to keep everything I have. But the Christian definition of that is like, yes, you shouldn't steal, that's obviously bad, but instead you go a step further, and instead of just not stealing, you're sharing with everybody what you actually have, and you're sacrificing, and you're giving what you don't have, or what you have. And we see this as an example in the early church. We see that in, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, the very first believers, the very first Christians, right after Jesus ascended in heaven, they put this into practice. Literally, if they had money, they shared it. If they had extra food, they shared every single bit of it. If they had extra clothes, they're like, I have two shirts, I don't need two shirts, I just got one shirt, that's good enough, they shared their other shirt. Literally, it says that they shared their house. Like, if they had a house, they shared it to make it a church. And if they, like, okay, we don't need another church in this place, they sold their house, and then they shared the money they got from their house. That is, like, I don't even understand that kind of generosity, but that is the church being the church. It's not just not stealing, but it's working hard so that we can share with others around us. And that is one of the best ways that we can reflect the sacrifice of Jesus and show Jesus to the world around us. The Christian life is not just about taking from others, but it's giving and serving. We are called to be generous and compassionate toward others and not take advantage of them. A follower of Jesus, if you say that you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus is generous with their time and with their stuff. The fourth thing that 
Paul talks about, and this is one that some of you guys are going to like, okay, maybe I do need to listen to this one. Uh, Take off trash talk and put on encouraging words. What we say, how we treat others, in the words that we use, they all matter to God. That joke or that sarcasm that you think is innocent, it matters to God a whole lot more than you think he does because our words have the power to either build somebody up or to tear somebody down. And your intention behind it, it honestly, it doesn't matter all that much. If you're like, I'm just joking, they should know I'm joking, I'm just being sarcastic, they should know I'm being sarcastic. The intention behind that, it doesn't matter all that much because we don't know what's going on in your head. The words that we have are powerful and they can either build somebody up or tear somebody down. So how are we supposed to talk to somebody? He says in verse, 20, verse 29, he says, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those we hear. The word for foul that Paul is using there in the Greek, it, it's, only other, uh, it's only referred to and used to describe like rotten fish or rotten meat. That's the only other way that word is used in the Bible. And so like Paul, he's using it to try to like, get a gag reflex out of us. Like you should not have this like rotten speak or this rotten, rotten language coming out of your mouth. It's supposed to make Christians think and to be repulsed by this kind of, of language. He says that the foul language that you're using, those jokes, that sarcasm they're using, that's the same thing as just trying to walk by and smell rotten fish and rotten meat, stuff that you would have no business being around. That is the same way that we should treat the words that we use whenever they're not encouraging and not building each other up. And notice, I, like whenever I first read this, whenever I was in high school, I thought, okay, this is the scripture that says you're not supposed to cuss. Like you're not supposed to say bad words. And that's all I thought this verse was referring to. Like, yes, we shouldn't say the bad words. And if someone came to church with me and they were like, okay, I'm going to say this bad word. I'm like, no, this is what the Bible says. You shouldn't do that. It's so much more than just not saying the bad word. It's the motivation. It's the intention behind it. Instead of just not saying the bad word, instead of just not having that joke or that sarcasm, instead of just not doing the bad thing, we are instead supposed to use our words to lift up and to encourage. Our words are meant to build each other up. Our words are meant to encourage each other. They should cause somebody to feel better about themselves and to feel better about God. As Christians, we're called to be compassionate and to see if somebody is having a bad day and then to lift them up and say, hey, I see something in you. Hey, I see God working in you. Hey, I'm so proud of how you're letting God use you and change you. Hey, I see that you've been coming to church every single week. I'm so proud of you for doing that. Our words are meant to build each other up, not tear each other down. What we say and how we treat others, it all matters to God. And Paul, he goes on after this, and he basically summarizes everything he just wrote again to really make sure we got it. And this is what he says in verse 31. Summarizing everything else, he says that, Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. So take off all those things. Take off your old self, take off all these things, and put on your new self, the one that is created in the image of God. It says, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God forgave you in Christ. We must be compassionate and forgive each other because God forgave us. Like, this is the topic of forgiveness now. Like, we must forgive people because God forgave us. Like, honestly, like, that's a pretty solid reason. Like, if we think about, like, okay, 
That makes sense, Paul. God forgave us, so now I should forgive that person who did that bad thing from me. When we let bitterness or anger or unforgiveness creep in our hearts, I'm about to step on some toes. Whenever we let unforgiveness and bitterness creep into our hearts, what we're effectively saying is that we are proving that we don't fully understand how much it costs for God to forgive us. It's saying, God, I know that you died in my place. God, I know that you died to save me. God, I know that you came to earth as a baby and you were born and you left heaven and you died in my place, a terrible death. You bore my sins. I know you did all that to forgive me of all the terrible things I've done, but I'm not gonna forgive this person. Like, I don't, that doesn't mean anything to me because I'm not gonna forgive this other person. That sounds harsh, that sounds a lot. But effectively, whenever we choose to let bitterness rise in our heart and not forgiveness, whenever we let anger or bitterness prune our heart, we're proving that we don't truly understand how much it costs for God to forgive us. Whenever we forgive, whenever we choose to let go, whenever we choose not to let bitterness rule our hearts, we choose not to let anger or unforgiveness rule our hearts, we're doing it not because it's fun and not because it's easy. We're doing it because that is the best way that we can understand what it took for God to forgive us. Whenever the gospel truly begins to take hold of our heart, whenever we truly understand what it costs God, how much Jesus actually loved us, we forgive, not because it's fun or easy, but we're trying to, to show God that we understand how much it costs. And we're trying to prove others, like, God forgave me, so I'm going to forgive you. That's one, another great example of how we can reflect Jesus to the world. We have a, a world and a culture that is very unforgiving. That, that really, like, you, know, you did this bad thing to me, now I'm going to be mad at you for the rest of my life. Or you did this really bad thing to me, now I'm going to make you pay for it. I'm going to make you beg. I'm going to make you be sorry. But whenever we choose to forgive, even when the person's not even asking for forgiveness, that makes them stop in the tracks and be like, what happened to you? How can you just forgive me so freely? And it opens the door for us, like, God gave, forgave me so freely. I got what I did not deserve. I got that grace and that mercy that I did not deserve. And I can give it to you freely because God gave it to me freely. When we forgive, instead of let anger and bitterness rule our hearts, that is showing that our hearts have been changed and transformed like Jesus. That is how we show and live like Jesus in our world. And as Christians, we are called to imitate and be like Jesus Think about the word for Christian. Like if I asked your family, your friends, is so-and-so a Christian? Most of your friends or family like, yeah, they're a Christian. Or honestly, like even if you just went around and you talked to your friends at school and you just did a poll, how many of you guys say you're Christian? I would guarantee more than 75% of the people would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But if we go down to the root word of what Christian means, the first time Christian, the word, the name Christian was used, it was used to refer to the people as little Christ, as many Christ, as, as people that are imitating Christ. The, the first group of Christians was people that looked and acted like and behaved like Jesus. Now, if I took that word and I says, does so-and-so, are they, do they reflect Jesus? Do they look like Jesus? Do they, they speak like and act like Jesus? How many of those people are like, yeah, they do? Or if, like, do the other example. You go around and you ask everyone at your school, are you just like Jesus? How many people would say yes? Not 75%. 
But that is how Paul ends this section. Like we are supposed to be like God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love, as Christ also loved us, and gave himself up for us, as a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. We are called to be like, to speak like, and to act like Jesus. And the way that is done is through love. It's through love. And don't get me wrong, it's not that romantic love. Like I know Valentine's Day is coming up, but it's not that kind of love. The love that we reflect, the love that we are supposed to show, how we walk in love, it's that sacrificially self-giving love that is looking out for the interest of others and not simply for ourselves. How we walk in love, it's saying, how can I look out for the person that's next to me? How can I serve those who are around me? How can I look out for the interests of the people around me and not just my own interests? How can I make someone else more comfortable and, and not focus just on my comfort? Just like how Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us, we are supposed to give up ourselves for others. We are to live our lives in reckless abandonment. Not just thinking about every minute of every day, but thinking about others and how you can serve and encourage them. That is what it looks like to be like Jesus. I've been saying this for weeks and months in the worship team. You can go ahead and come back up. That's what it looks like to be like Jesus. We are becoming like Jesus whenever we choose to walk in surrender, whenever we choose to walk in sacrifice, whenever we choose to walk in love. And we do this not so that we can earn love. We love others. We encourage others. We speak truth. We give of our time. We give of our money. Not so that we can earn favor and we can earn a favor from God, but we do it because God already did it for us. We don't do it so that we can be saved. We do it because God has already saved us and he has already chosen us, that he already paid the price for us. There's nothing that we can ever do to make God love us anymore. Living your life in sacrifice, it's not gonna make God love you anymore. God already loves you more than you possibly imagine. This is why I say every single week. So why do we do this? We do it because Jesus first did it for us. He gave himself up for us. He left heaven and he came to earth for us. He became a sacrifice for us. He died for us so that we can forgive, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be chosen, and so that we can be made right in God's sight, so that we can be made whole and restored. Jesus willingly gave himself up as an offering for our sins, and God, he accepted that offering and that sacrifice for our sins. He says, that is enough. That sacrifice, the, the, the weight, the wages that we owed to God because of our sin was something that we could have never paid for ourselves, but because Jesus was perfect and innocent and holy and blameless and he died in our place, God saw that sacrifice and said, that is enough. There's nothing more that is necessary. There's no more good works. There's no more good deeds that we could possibly do to add to that because the sacrifice of Jesus was enough. It was effective. And because of that, the Bible, the Paul, he says the Holy Spirit can now live inside of us and he can seal us. We are sealed for the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. We can be secure in who we are in Christ. We can be set free because of Jesus. We can be changed because of Jesus. Those things I was talking about before, 
Is your life ruled by anxiety or is it ruled by peace? Is it ruled by depression or is it ruled by joy? Who is ruling your life? How, how is your life uh, look like compared to Jesus? I promise you, it can look more and more like Jesus. You can be changed. You can be transformed. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never said yes to him, you've never made him your Lord and your Savior, you never said, Jesus, I want to, to rely on your salvation for me and not on my own, but you want to. You, you want to you make your life, you want to surrender your life to Jesus. You want to make him your Lord and Savior. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand wherever you're seated just so I know who we're praying for tonight, who we can pray with. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you sad. But you want to give your life to Jesus. You want him to be the ruler and master of your life. That's you. There's never just a one-time moment to come to God. Whenever you realize the love of God, whenever you realize what Jesus did for you, you can always pray to God and say, Jesus, I realize the sacrifice they made for me now, and I want to be saved. I want to put my hope and trust in you. You can do that when you get home. You can do that tomorrow at school. It doesn't matter where you are. You can always put your hope and trust in Jesus. In fact, that is what Jesus calls us to do every single day, even as Christians, is to wake up and say, Jesus, I put my hope and trust in you. It's not a matter of what I do or don't do, but you already did it for me. I put my hope and trust in you. You can make that decision any time of your life. Now, for the Christians, for those who say you are a Christian, for those who say that you have accepted Jesus, we got some things to talk about. How is your life adding up? Do you find yourself speaking lies, believing lies, or do you find yourself speaking the truth? Do you find yourself taking, or do you find yourself giving? Do you find yourself having outbursts, or do you find yourself being self-controlled? Do you find yourself having bad words, or do you find yourself encouraging and building up? How does your life add up to the life of Jesus? Use this time of the altar to really reflect and say, Jesus, I want to be changed and I want to be just like you. God, make me more like you. Put your hope and trust in him. Put your work and your worth in him. We can be changed and secure. Change is not only possible. Change and transformation is not just possible, but that is the expectation of being a Christian because that is our new identity in Christ. You cannot be a Jesus follower and still live the way that you used to. You cannot say that you're a Christian and still walk in that old way of life. Being a Christian, it takes that moment of say, taking off that old life and putting on that new life, our new identity, our new self that's created in the likeness of God and all holiness and all righteousness is the basis of the change that should take place in our lives and our life should reflect that. So the worship team, they're going to lead us in another time of altar. Use this time to just surrender yourself to God, to surrender yourself to Jesus. And this is a time that we can say, Jesus, this is where I messed up. Because I guarantee none of us are perfect. All, all of us have sin, even today. This is the time to say, Jesus, here's where I messed up. Here's where I don't align with you. God, forgive me for that and change me. Help me to become more like you in this area. So I'm going to go ahead and ask everyone to go ahead and stand. I'm going to pray. And as soon as I say amen, that is your time to come up to the altar, lay those things down at God. You can go to the wall, you can come and pray with me or Brooklyn or any of the adult leaders in the back. 
This is your time of surrender. This is your time to ask Jesus to make you more in his image. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your good news, your gospel that you've given us. God, I pray that you help us tonight to leave the darkness and to walk into the light. God, help us to surrender our lives to you. Help us to leave this moment, to leave this altar, to leave this church, having more trust in you, having more hope in you, leaving full of more joy and more peace because of you, because we choose to surrender, because we choose to trust. And God, for the areas of our life that don't add up to you, that don't look like and reflect you in a great great way, God, I pray that you forgive us of those, help us to identify those, and help us to lay those down and to become more like you in those areas, God. God, we thank you for the change and transformation that can and will take place. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is your time to pray.